Welcome to The West Steps, a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Tedes. Welcome to this week's episode of The West Steps, and I am truly excited for this conversation. And before we start, I'm going to let my guest introduce herself, and then we can jump right into it. Thank you. This is, uh, I'm Diane Price. I'm president and CEO of Early Connections Learning Centers in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we provide um, services to primarily low-income families, limited-income families, uh, a high-quality comprehensive approach in multiple settings around central and southeast Colorado Springs. Amazing. Uh, I went to college in Colorado Springs, so deep, deep love and appreciations for Colorado Springs. It's a great community. It really is lovely. Um, and so uh, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, since you work very closely with families in a very complicated setting, um, for, from your perspective, what do you think are the major issues in, in early childhood in Colorado? One of the things that I've noticed, I've been doing this um, in Colorado Springs for about 32 years now at Early Connections. And one of the things I've noticed is that it's a very fragmented approach Mm. to support for families um, in our current, what some people refer to as a system. I kind of think it's a Mm. non-system. I think it's uh, hard to maneuver. I think it's difficult for providers who want to really support the whole child, the whole family in a comprehensive way um, to maneuver through the systems. But it's terribly difficult for families to understand um, requirements, eligibility, applications, uh, quality indicators, outcomes. It can become very difficult. And um, we need to be focusing on children. family's opportunity to find the right space for their children. Family choice is critical. And as early educators, we need to have the ability to partner and stand shoulder to shoulder with families. And I think sometimes that's hard when you're trying to piece everything together. Okay. So um, I want to parse out a couple of things that you said, because I think there's a lot to um, process there. Uh, So if I was a a first-time mom and I wanted to find childcare for my kid, there's no way I could just go on Google and say, hey, give me the high quality child care in Colorado. And there's no centralized place I can go. And for from a provider perspective, there's no um, streamlined sources of income and there is no streamlined requirements or qualifications. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Well, yes and no. So there is a place to find the quality ratings for child care centers and fam- licensed child care centers and family child care homes in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And you can do that through an 800 number that will connect you with Mile High United Way. And our state has a quality rating improvement system called Colorado Shines. Mm-hmm. And so any licensed provider is um, automatically rated at, at a level, a basic level of level one. But there are opportunities to improve your quality and ha- have a higher rating. So mm-hmm. the higher your number, the higher quality you are based on a set of standards as developed by the state of Colorado. So as a parent, I can go into that site. I can look at Colorado Shines. I can make the 800, uh, the number, the call to the 1-800 number. And I can certainly find what might be available in my neighborhood, where near I, 
near where I work, whatever I might find. But one of the challenges might be, though, is finding the quality. It, it's been a it's a difficult process. It's a it's a self-selected process as an organization, an agency, a family child care home to go through the process. And some folks may or may not choose to do that. So if the onus is on the family to determine what's best for them, and sometimes that may be the only thing that's available, whatever is there, whether it's a level one or a level five, might be the only thing that's available for that family. So we need to make sure that we have optimal quality choices for family. I think the other thing that if you're a first-time mom, and if you happen to be a mom of an infant, we were really challenged in our state with high quality infant and toddler care. Mm. It's very expensive. And so it's hard to find. Um, And so finding the availability of that can be a real challenge for any family trying to figure out that system. Mm. Um, One of the things that we saw um, at the beginning of the pandemic was how quickly a lot of um, early childhood centers, childcare centers closed. Um, and most of them have not come back. Um, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how the pandemic has further fragmented the NUN system that, that you described for us. So in my, in my working at doing this work for a very long time is that I feel like the business model is very fragile. It's a very fragile business model. Mm. And the primary source of funding for early care and education is program fees or parent fees, what parents pay. And so we're asking parents at their possibly lowest earning power in their time as young parents, maybe just starting out, to pay for high quality care that is very expensive. And so we're almost reversed in that, you know, we when we really need the subsidies and supports for families in the early years, we don't have them. And we oftentimes have them in the higher years, college, um, where we have scholarships and opportunities. And we may have better earning power as families at that time. So there seems to be a flip in that. So if it's a single payer system, that makes it hard. And because it is expensive, quality is expensive, that makes it more difficult. Um, So I think that, you know, what we saw. So when I say a fragile business model, what the National Association for the Education of Young Children found in surveying home uh, child care organizations in the spring of 2020 is that most organizations only had between 30 to 60 days of operating income. And so it isn't as if we sit on a lot of dollars that are reserve funds, the dollars come in and the dollars go out. It's a a labor intensive profession. I mean, business, we have to have a lot of staff. And so we have to be able to pay them. So as enrollments dropped during the pandemic and people lost their jobs or left their jobs or, you know, situations changed and If you didn't have that revenue coming in, you didn't have reserve monies to make that, to be able to stay open. And then starting back up can be very difficult Mm. in an economy that is struggling um, and families that are still struggling. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that struck off for me during the early days of the pandemic was how 
deeply crucial um, childcare and and uh, childcare services were to not just um, working families, but to to get any basic um, services operating. Anything from uh, first responders who are working in uh, in grocery stores to uh, medical professionals, they needed childcare in order to be able to do their job of fighting the pandemic. Um, how do you think people's opinions have changed in the past 12 months or so about the importance of childcare? I, I think that um, unfortunately we had to have a pandemic like we had and be in a situation like we've been in and we continue to be in in many ways mm. to understand the value of early care and education to economic vitality. Mm. And so many of us who've been doing this work for many years always understood that, that it is a workforce issue. It is an employment issue. If you're a working family, if you're a working mother, um, and that may be where the responsibility falls in some families is to the mom, that this is, um, this has been crucial, that early care and education has been crucial to the economy. But I think what we realized and what we found is that there was a new awakening of even more people understanding what happens when that childcare system is a little wobbly. If that foundation isn't strong, that early education system or childcare isn't strong, that it begins to disrupt um, as we try to come back. I mean, now we're trying to rebuild our economy. We're coming back. We have vaccines. We're opening up. We have businesses that are opening. Um, we are shifting some away from at-home work, some back to the office. Um, and so parents need those kinds of supports. And we're realizing now when it's not there, which we often do with anything, yeah. when it goes away, how yeah. much we value it. And we yeah. don't always understand that until it's gone. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, another thing that uh, was also uh, maybe not surprising for you since you've been doing this for a long time is how poorly we pay childcare workers. Um, and it blew my mind to know that we pay on average childcare workers uh, about minimum wage. And I wonder if you can talk more about that. If we, if we are entrusting these professionals to the youngest kids, that is deeply fundamental for the entire life. Um, where do you think that gap is then we don't compensate the workforce appropriately? I think compensation has been an issue in education in general for a very long time. Mm. Um, how we value educators, whether they're a K-12 educator or they're the birth to three educator or birth to five educators, um, and how much we count on those folks to partner with families to help that child develop and grow and be ready for the next step in their life, whether that be kindergarten readiness or becoming an infant to a toddler or whatever, language development, physical development, all those things. When children are in um, some kind of care, whether it be center, family, informal care, that, you're, that, that family has a partner that is working with them. And um, how, what value do we put on that? And what do we want them to bring to the table in terms of the the community that is educating or helping that child be successful. Um, it's unfortunate that it's been built upon a minimum wage. I think one of the things that we saw when Colorado began to increase its minimum wage that we began to see somewhat of a shift. It's unfortunate that we were in that pool of people, but it was somewhat fortunate 
that it began for us to think about how we think about compensating folks. If we ask for more education and more training, then we certainly need to compensate people in that way of what's equitable to their, their, their training and their education. So if we want people that work with young children to have degrees, then we need to have parity with educators in public schools. And in a single payer system, it's very difficult to have happen. And um, so thinking about how we, we want, parents want, providers want, owners want, operators want, teachers with more education, more continuity of care, few, less turnover, um, yet we don't always compensate in the way we should. And this, is, uh, this has been an issue for as long as I've been doing this. I entered um, into the education as an early educator um, back in 1973. Mm-hmm. And you know it was very low pay, um, mm-hmm. but I was passionate about the work. And that's what I did. And I worked other jobs to make sure that I could continue to do that work. But we're asking a lot of providers today because the, the challenges um, are, are becoming more difficult. Um, we are seeing more and more stress in the lives of our teachers, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our families. And how do we help balance that and um, ensure that our, the mental health of all of us stays somewhat sound during these yeah. difficult times. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think I want to go back to a point that you raised a little bit earlier that's I think a little bit related to this. I think, you know, uh, these services are not a luxury. They are important for our economy. They're important for our youngest kids. This isn't a choice, right? Like this isn't something we can outsource. Um, but I think the state commitment to this and to some extent the federal commitment to this has not been as uh, large as I think advocates would like to see. And I, I feel like things might maybe changing a little bit uh, right now. And I wonder as we um, hear uh, bill number 1304 being heard in the education committee this afternoon, I wonder, you know, and you've been part of that process about thinking about how best to organize these ideas of this none system. I wonder um, if you can give the listeners some idea of what that process has been like and what you hope this bill will do for the future of early childhood in Colorado? So, um, you know, from my perspective, the this is probably, I've, I've said this a lot in the last few days in talking with people, talking with my own team, um, talking with my board, is these are very exciting times in Colorado for early care and education. And in our country, um, I'm Sorry that it came out of such a terrible time, a pandemic, Mm. but for us to begin to address some of these challenges, for our state to have the opportunity to look at some of the systems in the way they're looking at them, to have a governor that supports early care and education the way he does and has made this a a platform of his, you know, his um, his being the governor and, and wanting to make sure is the most exciting time that I've ever been in early care and education, except when I was getting going to college and thinking it was, you know, Aww, how great is it going to be able to go out and do this work? <laughs> um, so I think that, you know, that's very exciting. Um, what we found is that the beginning of all this really, I think for us has happened through 
um, the support we got from the voters of Colorado on Proposition EE, mm-hmm. um, the universal pre-K, when the, the, our voters overwhelmingly said to um, Colorado, said to itself and said to the residents of Colorado that we believe in universal pre-K. And so spending many, many months talking about standards and um, outcomes and um, our responsibility to the voters and being accountable and reducing bureaucracy and making sure that monies really go to programs and to children. And as we had these conversations, realizing that we were fragmented. I mean, we've known that. But to have multiple agencies working in multiple arenas in early care and education and, you know, with the challenge to families as well as the challenge to the, um, the folks who are delivering the services, that the time was right for us to think about a, a Department of Early Care and Education. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard in many meetings I've listened to and conversations is you know, this came out of the blue. Where did this come from? You know, we've never talked about a department. That's not true. We have talked about a department many for many, many years in Colorado. In fact, most recently, when we got raised to the top dollars in Colorado, there was a lot of conversation about a department. There were there was guidance in getting raised to the top about how do those dollars flow? There needs to be an early childhood place. And so we had conversations about a department. Um, we didn't lean in quite the way we've leaned in right now. And yeah. so, you know, we have legislators, we have an early childhood leadership commission that boldly recommended a department. And we have legislators and a governor who have boldly stepped up and said, this is important. Um, and so as we think about this now, and we think about the opportunity we have, we have done this We've talked about this for a long time. This isn't yeah. new. Yeah. Um, we formed an office of early childhood, but is now is the time to l- lift up early care and education to the level we're talking about, to raise it to that level of a cabinet seat, to yeah. think about what we what is right for young children and families from birth to forever. Yeah. How do we want to ensure our economy is strong in Colorado and that we really have success for all of our families and all of our children. And they yeah. really, everyone has this opportunity. This is such exciting, such an exciting time. Yeah. Gives yeah. me chills. <laughs> Absolutely. And also I think it's just really, uh, I think we get, when it comes to policy and politics, I think it's really easy to get lost in what's not working. And this is a really beautiful example uh, people coming together and saying, hey, early childhood in Colorado is very important to us. And it's so important that it needs to be a cabinet level uh, department and it needs to be taken seriously. I think it's always really beautiful to see when people take hold of their government and make things happen for them that they think are important. Um, which leads me to my next question. And you've been doing this for long enough and you still get excited about it and you still... Um, believe in the fight to continue to do this. Um, so I wonder if you can tell people how to participate in this process, how to get their voices heard on the House Bill 1304, and also the, just how to get uh, uh, bought into the idea that they can make a difference if they feel passionately about something that doesn't personally have to affect them, right? Like I don't have to have young kids and struggling to find childcare in order to think childcare is important. 
So I wonder if you can give our listeners some guidance on how to actively take equal participation in in their government and in this bill. The first thing I would suggest is to really um, get onto the Carl Children's Campaign website and, and hear what's going on and see what's going on look at the fact, the factual documents, look at how many organizations signed in in support of this, um, watch what's happening. The bill was just introduced today. Um, just It's being heard right now as we speak. Um, there's a much, much opportunity for advocacy um, for and, and tapping into what the Children's Campaign is making available for us is important. But call your senator, call your representative, Tell them you believe in this. Think about the value of early care and education. Um, provide written testimony. Call, 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 call. Let those legislators know that this is an important issue for you as a voter, for you as a member of the state of Colorado's community that cares about this being the best place to raise a child. If we really want this to be a best place to raise a child and we want our economy to grow and we want our educational institutions to be the best and to be successful and for children to have great outcomes, to be successful in school, successful in life, successful in the future, then investing in this in these early years is important. And this is a way to make that happen. Um, There are. I, I know that when this bill passes, I know when this bill passes, <laughs> that there will be opportunities for engagement from the parent level, from the, the provider level, from um, the all the levels of, of edu- from our schools, from our counties, from government, in what does it need to look like in your community and what do you need to make sure happens um, that we want this to work in a rural community as much as it works in an urban community, and that we want the voice of parents and families at the table. And um, I think signing into and signing on to any opportunity you have as a voter or as a concerned citizen through the Colorado Children's Campaign is a wonderful place to start. Most of us in all of our local communities are connected to the work of the Children's Campaign. We have early childhood councils across our state that are connected to the work of the Children's Campaign. Reach out to your early childhood council. Um, call one of the early care and education providers in your community and ask them. Ask questions. Ask us to talk about it. We're willing to do that. We want to do that. Um, this bill is about transitioning, and it's a process. And a process means we need to engage. Yeah. We need to weigh in. And so when those opportunities are afforded to us, take advantage of those. We saw this happen with hundreds and hundreds of people as we talked about EE. Mm -hmm. We we welcome that when we talk about a new department. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great great place to end it. Thank you so very much for your time. And I am 100% sure this is not going to be the last time we talk, but I really want to just appreciate your commitment to early childhood and the work that you've been doing and for being such a strong advocate and for making the time for the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And anything I could do to support children in Colorado, I'm all in. Thank you. We'll talk to you. you. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, go to coloradokids.org. 
Fun fact, you can also find out Erica's pet peeves on her profile page on our website. Please don't do that.